We brew a beer that or Cedar Dust IPA. It's named after a mountain biking trail on mm. Cedar Dust Trail. The guests were discussing how they could smell the cedar and <laughs> I was like, how in the world am I going to feel this? No cedar trees were harmed in the making of this beer. This week, Washington Beer Talk is at Boundary Bay Brewery, talking to Janet Leitner. She's been with the brewery nearly since the beginning and is now married to their founder, Ed. And now the family that they've raised while working together at the brewery also works at the brewery. A true blue family-owned business. Janet started off as a chef at the brewery and now pretty much runs things here. So we get her take on food pairing, running a restaurant, and growing a brewery from its very humble beginnings to a Bellingham staple in the second episode of the Bellingham Beer Series. Ed, by the way, did stop in for a bit of an interview, but he was in quite a hurry. So our short little interview will be next week's Patreon-exclusive episode. You can find out more about that at patreon.com slash cyclingcicerone. On with the show. Welcome to Washington Beer Talk. Well, my name is Janet Leitner. I came here in 1997 as chef. To, um, so my background was in running restaurants and, and cooking. After a couple of years, well, the restaurant really grew during that, during those early years. It was just growing, I mean, just hand over fist, like percentages were just going up, 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 up. So super fun, building a team and being a part of a successful restaurant and developing regulars and having beer dinners. I'd been cooking for about 30 years at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, some physical things were just starting to make it more and more difficult for me to be Mm. active in the kitchen as far as being online. So I took more of an overseeing role and then became a a general manager, still with a lot of consulting. And it was very difficult to actually remove myself from the kitchen after Mm. I'd been in that environment for so long. Yeah. So it took a a little bit of getting used to. And um, then Ed and I, we are married now. We were married... um, a year ago, May, and um, but we had been together as a couple for nearly 21 years when we when we got married. So Ed and I have been running and operating this place together, and my children have been a part of it as well. So my son is the operations manager, my daughter, so my son Casey, my daughter Madison is the taproom manager, my daughter Bailey worked here with us for a long time, so my children, and then unfortunately we lost my son Zach, uh, about five and a half years ago, and but Zachariah was also here bartending. So all my kids at one point worked here with us. So from Ed going from being a bachelor to like having a family business was a a pretty um a pretty big leap. But I'm sorry to hear about your son Zach. Uh, that is otherwise the an astounding story. I've never heard of a like. It, the idea of a family-owned and operated business is something, is a kind of like, it's like a marketing platitude that every place might put on their website, but you never really expect, like, yeah, family-owned and operated, the whole family, yeah, the whole gang, we're all here. And that is, that just tickles me. I think that's so fun. But, you, okay, so you mentioned coming on around in 97, so you were the chef in 97. I'm, like, trying to do math that means so you met Ed here. Yeah, and I actually met I, I met Ed when he was building the brewery. Okay. When he was first starting to build it, mm-hmm. and I had um, considered coming on board and being sh- opening chef then, and being interested in running the kitchen then. 
mm-hmm. but Ed's concept, he'd come from wine country, and his concept, just to kind of make a visual, was be that, that in a big tasting room, like in Napa, when you go in and there's these big, vast, um, you know, pretty, um, they're beautiful tasting rooms, but the focus is on the wine. Mm-hmm. And you might have some snacks in a, in a winery, but it's really the focus is tasting the wine and he had come from that background and it was bringing that sort of a vision into how boundary was going to open and run with a small tasting food menu and a big beer menu with the focus being on wine i mean on on beer right so did that but then came to realize that there was a big um, food movement in bellingham and that people really wanted um, diverse food menu to go with the beer and when you're drinking beer you know beer and food people talk about wine and food as being this great partnership yeah but really you drink a lot more beer when you're eating pizza and burgers and you know a meatloaf sandwich that kind of that comfort food goes with beer so really the wine mark the wine uh, marketing people did a really good job thinking that you only drink wine when you're eating really the reality is you drink a lot more beer when you're eating than you do yeah. wine i i know i do and that's so that's so the restaurant quickly evolved into something that would be like oh my goodness gracious these people want more so long story short is i consulted with ed when he was building the restaurant because he had such a really strong business background but no particular practical experience in a restaurant specific so i was able to consult with him work with him on that and then I was went off on a kind of like a more fine dining tract Mm -hmm. and so I kind of finished out finished that off and then came back here when he when they needed a a chef and they were kind of kind of having some issues there so then I came in okay so your your career was kind of you started off in the the chef kind of cooking area you went fine dining then you came back to the brewery after all that um and then now, and so how long are you in the kitchen here before you switched over to the manager position? I'd say it was a good solid five years. Yeah. Yeah. So five years where I was still actively online. And then even to this day, I will help with some menu items. And But we have a very strong, um, strong kitchen manager, chef, catering manager. So it's grown a lot. So we have our own catering company we have an outdoor barbecue um, seasonal menu that happens and then we have our our main kitchen so we're doing doing many different things we could be catering off-site or on-site or we do weddings um yeah all kinds of stuff Uh, it's becoming clearer how how you can be so busy (laughs) uh you um you mentioned earlier that there was a photo shoot going on or a video shoot going on the other side. What's that for? Well, we have a um we have our own in-house videographer and we help support nonprofits. So they're doing using, you know, our staff combined with the nonprofit to do a video shoot and we also have spin bikes next door so we have <laughs> some spin classes that go on and so we're utilizing those three things to promote not only our kind of adm- adventure spirit of boundary and also the nonprofit shifting gears that's crazy you've got an in-house videographer mm-hmm. how did that happen well he's king started out as a host here and he um had some opportunities to work with some filmmakers and video is a really important part of marketing online. That now he's developed into that role here and he does a really great job. Wow. 
That is, that's funny. I never even considered the in-house videographer position. I, it, I guess what I need to do is make sure that everyone has a sense of the scale of Boundary Bay. Plenty of people have heard of the brewery. Mm-hmm. It's up here in Bellingham. It's, you know, we've maybe got a sense of, you know, the epicness of it, the whole, of a whole family lineage mm-hmm. <laughs> of people running this brewery. Maybe how, how, how far out does your beer get? How, maybe, how many barrels do you brew in a year? We brew about 6,500 barrels a year trying to figure out where our sweet spot is as far as production because of the level of competition and where we want to be. And, but to this point, we do have a distributor in Spokane. So we sell a little bit of beer in Eastern Washington. We have a distributor in South Sound. And so we sell a little bit of beer in the South Sound region, but the lion's share of our beer, we self-distribute and also our local distributor here, um, Walton Beverage, does a really great job of distributing our beer. The message for us and our what we produce and where it is sold is that our community really supports Boundary Bay. And that community, the ripples out of that community get down into Snohomish County and into King County. As we get further out, that message is a little bit harder to... Um, to, for people to hear, mm-hmm. and and that's and that's okay because we have really done a really good job of our tagline is when you choose boundary you choose community, mm-hmm. and we were hoping that message would would ripple out into other communities further away, and when people really know our story they get it, but here it's very strong and it's it's loud and some roots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're talking about you know trying to spread your message of your brand. Stuff like that. Is is that more or less your role as general manager? Are you doing that kind of stuff? We have a brand manager mm-hmm. who we meet with weekly. So there's a small team of us. Our leadership team, basically. Communications director, my son, the operations manager, myself, and our brand manager, John. So we meet to make sure that our brand is on track and that we're messaging. It's exciting because you have to keep changing. You have to keep growing. And marketing and branding is so dynamic right now with with social media, with how things are, how people market, how people advertise, that it's it's changing weekly, almost daily. I mean, somebody's yeah. going to come up with something, and hopefully we come up with something that's going to just really wow people. Being a brewery from 1995 means you've watched all this stuff happen in, happen in the industry. And, that, you know, it'd be, it'd be wild to have to watch it and go, Oh no! Somebody beat us to that. Or man, they just invented this new thing. We got to get on it. And like, oh man. Or seeing how many people have gone like, oh goodness, they're doing that now. And and yeah. we and because we set an example and set precedent on a lot of things, yeah. community-driven events and partnering and collaborations with. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. kind of it's like I guess that you know. What is it called when somebody's imitation is the highest form of flattery? Yeah, well, yeah. there's only, I mean, we set a really high bar for community collaboration. And the breweries in Bellingham jumped right on board with that. And so our community is well supported by our breweries. And I really feel like we set set that example and people followed our lead. You mentioned now the other breweries in Bellingham. Is there any other way that your breweries kind of interact? So we have our Bellingham Beer Week where we all come together and 
you know, do things together, and they also have separate events. One of my favorite days of the year is actually where we have a, uh, it's called debauchery, where all the breweries come together, and we play we play a tournament, a bocce tournament, oh. and it's just like everybody's just there to have fun and share beer and food and bocce, and we don't get together often enough just to have fun together like that, and when we do, it's just, it's wonderful. We really do col- we do collaborate, and we also complement each other as far as our beer styles go. You have um, Chuck and Nut, who's you know really you know does a wonderful job with their German German style beers, and we do our Northwest style beers, and and Aslan does organic beers, and and North Fork's doing a lot of sour barrel aged beers. So there's a lot of complementary styles that people are brewing here. So it's not that people are just coming in and everybody trying to brew an IPA like ours or a Scotch Ale like ours. People are brewing really good beer in Bellingham and it's and they're complementing each other. The pubs themselves, the tasting rooms are all unique and different. And I think that that is a way that we, again, complement each other. So people can come to Bellingham and visit all these different breweries, brew pubs, tasting rooms, and have a unique experience in each one of those and a high-quality experience at each one of those as well. You mentioned now like the brew pub and tasting room, kind of those separate different types of models. This is obviously you know, the brew pub, restaurant, and brewery kind of combined. And I've noticed those are a lot more popular up in Bellingham. As, but in Seattle, it's more tap, tap rooms. You're mostly getting tasting rooms kind of uh, rather than you know, always having a restaurant combined. Is, is there some natural force in Bellingham that makes that more likely? It may, it may seem that way uh, upon the first glance, but there's really only the three true brew pubs with Aslan and Chuckanut and Boundary, and there's 15 of us. So North Fork has a great restaurant as mm-hmm. well. But the other ones that have come along now are primarily tasting rooms with food trucks. Gruff is right across the street from us, mm-hmm. and they have a tasting room, a really fun beer garden, but no restaurant. I think you will see more and more of that mm-hmm. continue. It's very difficult. to. We have over 120 employees, and minimum wage is going to go up another $1.50 an hour the first of this year. So it is challenging, and it's very, um, yeah, it's, yeah. you have, have somebody like, Ed Bennett, who knows um, accounting and knows how to really control, you know, that that side of the business because it's it's not easy. I worked in restaurants all my life, and I know that working in a restaurant is one of the hardest ways to make a living. And Mm -hmm. so it's not um, it's not um, it's not easy. And seeing fewer and fewer. Yeah. restaurant styles. I was just up at Twin Sisters. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about yeah. Twin Sisters and 122 West. Are they a another restaurant one. As well? Yeah, they are. Yeah, so there's now there's so that's five. Yeah. Yeah, I was yeah, I forgot about that. I'm uh, talking about 122 West like I don't know who they are. I'm interviewing them tomorrow. So I'm going to and I know they're a brand new brewery. I've not been here since they opened, mm-hmm. so I haven't had a chance to even swing by. So in, in this recording, I don't know what 122 is, but tomorrow, by the time you listen to this episode, I will be yeah. an expert at 122. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited to hear about them. They're, they're replacing um, um, Melvin that closed down over there, too. So there's a, like an insane amount of turnaround. Two bre- Is that two breweries that closed since I was here last? And then three that opened? Yeah. So, and that's, you know, since a year ago. Yeah. So, I mean, in Belli- Bellingham is seeing more... Yeah, and another new one down in down in Bo Edison as well. So I don't know, you know, there's 
yeah, yeah. they're still popping up. That's crazy. Do you, uh, you, you know, you're asking me for like industry insights, but do you, do you see what's really going on with like what, what's going to happen here? Like is Bellingham going to get saturated or, or what? Well, I just got back from a visit in Asheville, North Carolina, where their population is not much bigger than Bellingham and they have twice as many breweries and they have three that are huge. They have New Belgium, they have Sierra Nevada and Highland Brewing Company and Highland Brewing Company started in 94, and we started in 95. Um, the, I, the takeaway from it is that the, the beer tourism end of it seems to be the thing that keeps things going. Mm. So as, you know, because I don't know that a community our size can sustain another, that would be another 10 breweries here in Bellingham. Yeah. And I don't know that we can do that successfully especially like large, large kind of format restaurant brew pub things Mm -hmm. um, with large staff. But if the beer tourism and slash ecotourism, these places are similar because we have strong environmental, like recreational, Mm -hmm. right? It's really big recreation, one close to national park, us, you know, close to island sailing, kayaking, Mm -hmm. hiking, skiing, whatever. So that recreational aspect seems to coincide with success of breweries. So as long as we can keep that eco-tourism happening, keep people coming into Bellingham to enjoy our environment, recreational aspects of it, I think that recreation and beer drinking, they pair very well. I think that that is one of the keys to a community being able to sustain as many breweries as some uh, somewhere like Bend again, mm-hmm. a yeah. strong recreational destination. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think it's just the communities that are keeping them alive. I think that the people coming in and out of those communities enjoying that, enjoying the places while they're here and then leaving. Yeah, that's an interesting take. I had never really considered that. You know, you think that of course tourism is an important part of a, you know of a of a brewery's business, but you never think of it being like a primary or like crucial, you know, component. And that is, that's gotta be, yeah, it's the only thing that can make a city like Bend, which I don't even know how many people live in Bend, not that many. And if I'm thinking like, yeah, if I lived here in Bellingham and I, even if I drank, went to a different brewery every night and got, you know, had a beer, you know, set, call it seven beers a week. I'm only going to half the breweries you know, that are here and I can't, and I, and I'd be a pretty heavy drinker if I did that. So yeah, you're right. Like a community, can only support so many breweries and then in, in, like a lot of it has to come from tourism that's funny so do you is there anything that boundary bay can do you know to help foster that tourism bit i mean i know that i stop here every time i ride through on ERSVP, mm-hmm. and uh, that's i guess that's one component um well ed um he's he is on the tourism board and has been for a very long time here that and he began a brew cruise that we do every summer. And so once a week on Wednesdays, uh, San Juan Cruise Lines takes, takes out. We bring two other breweries with us. And that brings in tourists and locals alike. So we're, we're very, very engaged in, in tourism here. The RSVP we host here. Um, we do valley bike parking. We put on a special menu in our beer garden for them. 
Um, we brew a beer for the Bellingham Traverse. We work closely with um, the Bellingham Bay Marathon, just started, um, just finished in front of our brewery last Sunday. And so a lot of these community recreational events that bring in a lot of people, a lot of tourists. Um, Ski to Sea is huge. We brew a beer for Ski to Sea. And um, so that is how we... Um, we kind of stake our claim in the tourism world of um, Bellingham and Whatcom County. We put on a St. Patrick's Day parade in um, March, and a lot of people come in from out of town to enjoy the parade and the festivities here and other brew pubs around town. So mm -hmm. we're aware of tourism and how important it is. Um, people think that that we're rolling, you know, as we come into September and Western is filling up the dorms and the, and the students and professors are all going to come back and be, you know, active again in the town. They think that this is going to be our busiest time of year mm -hmm. when actually August is our busiest time of year, hmm. which coincides with the busiest time for tourists. Now you've got a couple of forces, like seasonal forces that act on a brewery. Do you guys see, like, you know, typically, you know, in Seattle, you know, breweries have a, a rough winter and like a busy summer. Do you feel those seasonal highs and lows harder? Are they different for you because of the t patterns of tourism and the patterns of school? Yeah, well, and for us here, our, foot, our footprint shrinks. So we close our deck and we close our beer garden. Mm -hmm. So when we have our beer garden and our deck going, it's, all, it's like having another restaurant and a half. So it really, so yes, we have to... Our beer garden staff, they can be absorbed into other departments, try to market our catering through the wintertime for holiday parties and and use our mountain room for, for holiday events or, you know, special occasions. So we try to keep our catering going through the winter. But, yeah, definitely our staff will shrink by 30, 40 people. So you just have to kind of react, try to get the snowboarders and skiers to come in after they're done skiing and capture that, that side of it. But... Spring and summer is really where it's at as far as busy season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, We've also branched off into a home delivery service. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you can order um, a limited menu of food and beer can be delivered to your home. I think I saw on your website there was a $20 case of yeah. Traverse IPA. Yeah. That, that is... A welcome back to school package. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. how, mu how many beers in a case? 24. <sighs> wow. <laughs> That's value. Oh my gosh. So you've got your you got your fingers in a lot of pies. You got the mm -hmm. catering, you've got, you know, the you mentioned a beer garden, a deck, the restaurant, you distribute some beer, self-distribute, have distributors. You what what percentage of your business is in the is is beer, I guess. Maybe yeah, what what like if if your restaurants really, you know, if you if you're hiring 120 employees and you're brewing 6500 barrels a year, you're probably doing you're putting a lot of business through that restaurant yeah we are we actually have been the largest brew pub in the country statistically like three different times over the last 10 years um, which means you have to sell at least 25 percent of what you you have to sell at least 25 percent of what you brew on site and your pub and so we've done that um, successfully quite often. So we sell a lot of our beer here at the pub. Mm -hmm. And so we still have a, you know, the the biggest part of our their income comes from from the brew pub itself. And you know, so that's something to be really proud of. We we talked about, you know, you, you said you started brew these Northwest style ales, stuff like that, versus chuck nuts. 
German style mm. versus Aslan's sort of organic stuff. What are some of the considerations you have to make when looking at new styles and, and what you're, what you're going to serve here and what you're going to brew? I mean, the most important part is really brewing a great quality beer. And so we were pretty choosy about, you know, when we branch off and we, we adopt another style. So we were late coming around to, like, the hazy IPAs. We had successfully brewed um, IPAs for a long time, two different distinct styles of IPAs and the fresh hop IPAs and some, but all of our beers, you know, we're very proud of the, the clarity of our beer and they're not filtered. They're just, they're beautiful, clear beers. So it was difficult for our brewers to get their minds around, you know, something that they'd uh, for decades had, you know, gotten to the point where they were so proud of these beautiful, clear beers. So we do some research and, you know, you work hard to make sure you're going to come out of the gates with something that you're proud of and successful in a, in a new style. Some of the, some of the styles that, that, have, that have come along, if we're not ready for it, you know, or we don't have the staff for it, then we'll just kind of let it, let it go and, you know, maintain what, what we do here and what we do well. I think being really proud of how consistent our beers are, that you can have a Scotch Ale here 15 years ago and come in five years from then and say like, oh my goodness gracious, this is that exact same delicious scotch ale that I had. So I think we're more like being consistent and not just jumping on any trend that comes along, mm -hmm. but making sure that when we do um, adopt something new that we want to do it right. We were talking earlier about White Claw potentially mm -hmm. being one of those things, you know, with those seltzers that everyone is talking about these days. You mentioned that it'd be hard to get your brewers on board with the idea of brewing a white claw a white claw type beverage is there is there like a you know a, a not a bureaucracy but sort of a like an inertia that kind of maybe keeps you doing what you're doing or or, or anything like that yeah, like it's it is difficult i mean like if i'm if i'm if i'm in the kitchen and i'm cooking what i'm going to be passionate about is really truly the stuff that i enjoy eating or what I like to feed my family or what, you know, what maybe what I've grown up with or whatever. It just becomes a part of your being. I think a brewer is a lot like that. And if their, their passion for their craft is coming from their heart and from a, coming from a really true place in themselves, they're not going to just jump on a bandwagon to brew something to make money. They're not going to just, it would be like, you know, kind of like selling their soul kind of a thing. So they really want to brew the beers that they're proud of. It's their craft. It's not, it's not just a job. It's not just an economic thing that they come in and punch a time clock and go like, okay, what's selling the most out in the marketplace today and how are we going to brew a hard seltzer? Yes, it's smart business. Yes, there's lots of money. Yes, that market share in that segment is growing. But is it going to make our brewers want to come to work? We're more interested in having happy, passionate people feeling that they're, they're, they feel complete, that their craft is honored and not, it's not just used for the good, just not used. You know how to do this. You know how to put these ingredients. You know how to make alcohol. We know how to sell it. Let's do it and make money. I respect that a lot i think that's that's definitely something very important when you're running a business obviously keeping your employees happy and keeping them around and obviously you don't have any problem keeping your employees around because i've was talking chatting with a bartender you know who had been here for 
since 2001, you know, something crazy like that. I was Brian, I think. Yeah, so I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think that feels that feels good. We didn't talk about this enough, but your specialty is the restaurant side. And you were talking, you know, you were getting going about food pairing, and we ended up switching gears, but I think we got to bring it back to that. So we were talking, we are about to start talking about food pairing and how you built your menu. How, how about we talk about that a little bit? And it used to have a lot more... Um lot more time to do like special beer dinners where you really really you know focused on a certain menu item and got the beer to pair with it and there's a lot of fun and there's some merit in doing that and used to spend a lot of time with doing cheese pairings and beers and just you know it's super fascinating at the at the end of the day though we've decided that if the guest wants to drink a Bellingham Blonde with a cheeseburger with gorgonzola and whatever, and we think that should have been a stout, you know, <laughs> I can't believe they're drinking a blonde with that blue cheese. It should be a stout. That <laughs> it's really, you know, it's what that makes the guest happy and what that guest is enjoying. So, you know, we kind of tread lightly on, we can suggest and recommend things that go together. But palettes are different, people's experiences are different, and you know, it's what what they want more than us kind of preaching from above, like, you know, just not getting too um snooty about it. Yeah. You know, that it's at the end of the day it's beer and it's supposed to be fun and enjoyed with friends and the food that you want to drink with it is or eat with it is it's up to you and just so long as you're enjoying it. It's always hard to run you know you're walking a fine line you're trying to educate people make sure they get the best experience but also not be snooty so that yeah that can be a tricky one i uh, i frequently talk with my friends about how you know the right amount of head on a beer or the right kind of glassware and i uh, used to be you know it used to be that i really thought hard about that I was always making sure that i had you know the pills in her glass or whatever and now these days it's like yeah yeah. Whatever. Be yeah. Fine. I mean, there's 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 science and there's merit to to so much of it, and to sit down with a bunch of gear, beer geeks and brewers and talk like that and drink beer out of one glass and then drink it out of another and really have the time to like, oh my gosh, it does taste different, or oh my goodness gracious, it that that aroma is larger here, or you know, this the classic shaker glass just isn't gonna you know give us the best result as that. You know, the really high-tech IPA, you know, charge glass that, and it all scientifically makes sense. Socially, beer has its so much momentum socially. And so to come into a a busy, active brew pub with something like that, I mean, it's kind of like a buzzkill. It's like, wait a minute, we were just watching a football game, man, and having some nachos, and you're telling me I'm drinking out of the wrong glass? Like, get with it, you know? (laughs) So it's it's fun when you have the time to do it. I'm fascinated by all the science and you know the whole sensory thing is is definitely helps us brew better beer, helps us um, you know in, in our own sensory tasting and our own experiences, but to really absolutely push that out there to the public and expect them to all, you know, have that same, you know, kind of mental space. It's just to me, it's just not really appropriate. Yeah, you um, do you have a, a trick for spotting? You know, the kind of customer that might be someone who's interested in that kind of. 
I think they ask the questions. Yeah. I think they ask the questions. And a lot of our glassware, you know, there are specific glasses for, for several beers here. Mm-hmm. And so they ask the questions. And you have, you know, trained staff. And if the staff, if, heaven's sakes, if the staff can't answer a question, if you get someone in that's really in the know, you mm-hmm. know, come and get somebody that can help answer that question or or learn from the guest at that point. There's a lot of people that know a lot about beer anymore. So just, you know, not pretending that you know more than the guest. And I think that it can kind of be a two-way street where if the guest is asking questions, make sure you can get them the right answer and if and learn from their experiences too. Yeah, I really, <laughs> really try to coach that into our team that... It's okay to not know. Yeah. And it's exciting to figure it out yeah. and finding someone who does know. But not, you know, we brew a beer that our Cedar Dust IPA. It's named after a mountain biking trail on Galbraith Mountain, mm. Cedar Dust Trail. Mm. And the guests that were in the room at the time were swirling the beer and they were discussing how they could smell the cedar and (laughs) i was like how in the world am i gonna feel this how am i gonna they are so sure that there's cedar in this beer and i was like now my joke is i go in and i like no cedar trees were harmed in the making of this beer you know (laughs) know? and you got to get in there preemptively because the power of suggestion for people when they're eating and drinking is huge it's crazy I love saying that um, it's really easy to smell sept people. To do, I just recently did a uh, a light beer blind taste test where we tried to taste like Henry Weinhardt's Private Select and Rainier and PBR and like all these. We're trying to figure out which ones are which, and you can really you can get someone to think. You can almost get people to believe that there's a pomegranate flavor in Bud Light if you say it ahead of time. Yeah, it can be yeah. funny. Yeah, you, know, you need those little walls up when you're doing sensory in a group yeah. because just a glance, a grimace, a, you know, it's like a, your mind is so open for information at that point that anything coming in is just going to could cloud it and change it. So it's really, it is power suggestion is huge and yeah. A really useful exercise for me has been, you know, to if you you go to a brewery that has their beer menu written down and they've got usually the descriptions kind of all written there. That's got these kind of hops, which have these kind of flavors, this kind of malt profile, and you order you order beer without even looking at that, and then you try to taste it and really figure it out, and then you compare it to the list. And if you can even think of any of the descriptors that are going to be on that thing before you read them, then like you're doing great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like that's really if you figured out that that flavor you were tasting was pine without reading the word pine first like oh damn you know it's up so but that is that's hard you know there's there's a handful of flavors out there that i can identify by name you know by smell and then would be able to find them again on that list and go, yeah, oh yeah, of course that was there. But for the most part, I'm like, and this mostly just reminds you of this other beer I had, you know, whatever. And the words I come up with are the ones that I decided on. You know, they have nothing to do with what the brewery decided on. But I bet you probably know a couple of really good ta- beer and food tasting tricks. Are there a few that you are your, like your your go to, like your three core staples? You know, how to find a good pairing, or maybe just your favorite pairings. Well, I'm so proud of our of our IPA. And we have several spicy dishes on our menu. And you'd think like maybe something more that, you know, like our Bellingham Blonde, a lighter beer would go with spicy foods. But I really feel like an IPA uh, pairs well with spicy foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just one of my one of my favorites is, you know, the whether it's a 
um, like our yam enchiladas and our IPA I think is just great. And I'll go back to the gorgonzola and the stout. I just think blue cheese and and dark, you know, stout beers. Our oatmeal stout is so delicious. And if I'm going to put together a cheese tray, I'm going to make sure I've got a nice chunk of blue cheese on there and, and some stout along the side of that tray for sure. It, I do get warm and fuzzy whenever I think about how much better beer is at pairing with cheese than wine is. <laughs> it, Isn't it ironic? It's crazy. Yeah. They rolled yeah. the wool over our eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we've been chatting for a long time now. Um, I, thank you very much for being able to find this much time to sit here and chat with me. Janet, this was a really an eye-opening experience, a lot of fun for me. Uh, do you have any anything else you want to add, throw on? I would say... Um just really welcome people to come to Bellingham. Um, it's not that far away from Seattle. Just pick the time of day and get up here. If you pick the right time of day, you can be up here in an hour and a half. We have a great farmer's market right across the street from the from the brewery. It'll be going through November. And um, so that's really just a fun Saturday. Leave early, spend the day in Bellingham. Brewingham is what we call it. We also have a haunted beer garden that'll be um, put together by a local um, nonprofit. Our bay is the Bellingham Academy for Youth and Arts here um, just right up the street and they put together a amazing um, haunted fear garden for us. So if you have time during the Halloween season, come up, experience the fear garden, the farmer's market, make a trip to Brewingham. We'd love to see you. Brewingham and the fear garden. All right. I love it. Thank you so much again. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Let's go get a beer. Okay. (laughs) On the Patreon exclusive part two of this episode, we have Ed Bennett the founder of Boundary Bay Brewery and husband of Janet. So if you want to hear just a little bit more about this fantastic place, you'll have to go to patreon.com slash cyclingcicerone to find out how you can get access to that episode and more. Thank you very much, Janet, for an awesome episode. It was a pleasure coming out to Boundary Bay out in Bellingham, and I can't wait to come out again. Thanks for being on Washington Beer Talk, and thank you for listening. Are you a brewery that wants to be on a podcast? Shoot me an email, andrew at cyclingcicerone.com.